0: your Bibles, find Luke 23. We're going to be looking in Luke 23 and 24 next week, but to a great degree, uh, we're going to be looking in Matthew today and John today, so we're going to be jumping all over the place. And so, yes, this is, over the next two weeks, a topical message. You don't hear many topical messages here at, at Battleground, but if you're with us, this is a time, this is a season, they are... They are good and essential in the body of Christ. And, and so this morning I want us to see that on the cross Jesus displayed both selfless care and absolute dependence as he secured our eternal redemption. Next week what we're going to do, so if you would, if you've got your notes, just keep those notes in your Bible because we're going to come back to this next week. What we're going to do is we're going to see that everything that Christ provided for us in our eternal redemption is made real and guaranteed and is actually victorious and actual in this life because of the resurrection. So we're going to take these seven sayings from Christ that we're going to look at today and we're going to apply them next week on resurrection day and say because he lives, this is how we can live. This is how we must live. And so that's the plan over the next two weeks. And so what we're really doing as our study in John, as we are looking at the cross, we're just hitting that fast-forward button. We're going to take ourselves to the cross and then to the resurrection for the next two weeks. And so as we look at Luke 23, find verse 32. Jesus, at this point, has already been betrayed by Judas. He has already appeared before Pilate, and then Herod, and then Pilate. He has already been flogged. He has already begun to suffer the trauma and the shock of blood loss. As his body begins to send blood to the most important parts of his body. This is already happening. He has been delivered over to be crucified. And he is walking the road to the cross. He is carrying his cross and our cross, and yet you remember he was so weak he couldn't carry this cross. So they got a guy out of the crowd to carry it. We pick up now in verse 32. Luke 23, verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. This is God's word. Let's pray for our time together. And so, Lord, as your people do every week, We gather together to remember your work. The work of our eternal redemption. The work that guaranteed us not just heaven, but a particular type of life now, God. And so, God, I want to pray for us, not only for us who are sitting here, those of us that are watching online, that we quench not the Spirit this morning by coming in with secret sin, that we quench not your spirit today by coming in angry at our spouses or our children. And so, God, we pray now as we open up your word. We pray the blood of the cross on our lives to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so there be nothing between us and you today to hear what you have for us to want to understand and to apply and to live. Thank you for the cross today that even gives us the ability to sit here in your presence and hear from your word and be comforted by the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus' life, death, and resurrection provides at least three things. Eternal redemption. Jesus provides for us reconciliation to a God that we, that I have sinned against. But not only that, to those that he reconciles, he has a life to follow. He has a death to learn from today. He has a resurrection that we must know. In other words, he gives us an example. Jesus tells us very practically... That without denying one thing, you can never experience anything better. He taught us that by providing for us an eternal redemption that gives us a life to live and an example to follow, and so His life, death, and resurrection shows us how to live a victorious life. Now, you see, the Christian life is an illusion. Unless we have a redemption that is both actual today and eternal when we die, if it it's only pine in the sky by and by, then we have deluded ourselves. That Jesus Christ gave us an eternal redemption that begins to the moment that we put our faith in Jesus Christ. It is eternal redemption and a victorious life that we want to give ourselves to for the next two weeks. Jesus went to the cross in silence and on the cross there were seven things that he said seven sayings that we're going to boil down to seven words three of them as he was on the cross in agony, being tortured was focused on others so the first three expresses his selfless focus, the love that we were singing about just a minute ago the last four shows his Absolute trust and dependence or oh, if we had time I would speak of his authority today even as he was on the cross seven life changing words I want to show you this book book by A.W. Pink called The Seven Sayings of Our Savior from the Cross I used this heavily in my preparation this week and I would highly recommend not only that but any of his work so what did he say first I want us to say look at verse 34 Jesus the first words he said from the cross was a word of radical forgiveness we could boil it down to forgiveness yes we could boil it down to prayer verse 34 Jesus said father forgive them for they do not know what they do There was a radical nature to this word and there is an effective nature. It was radical because it was for them, right? Who is them? He laid there, nearly flayed alive before he got to the cross, now nailed to the cross, and who was before them was murderers, traitors, and friends who left him so he prays for his own murderers that his father might forgive them. This prayer was not only radical because he prayed for his own enemies. It was effective. Turn with me to Acts 6. We could draw comfort today knowing that those that left him came back that Easter morning. But let's look even deeper than that. Acts 6 and verse 7. This is after Pentecost. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the what? The priest became obedient to the faith. These people who chased him, who pursued him, and who crucified him, God's prayer was answered. God answered the Lord's prayer and many of them were saved. They were forgiven. But all this prayer, this prayer of forgiveness shows us something. It shows us the blindness of our sinful condition. Peter said in Acts 3.17 when he addressed the people that you acted in ignorance. In other words, you killed him When you acted in ignorance as did your rulers. This prayer realizes that even those who murdered him, they did not know what they are doing. Do you remember Peter said, you killed the king of glory, but God raised him up. They were pierced to the heart. This blindness reveals his next word. It is a word of selfless salvation. You see, he was not alone. He was crucified between two criminals. You see verse 32 now in Luke 23. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. Look down at verse 42. We're going to focus in on the response of this one criminal. It says in verse 42, and he said, The one criminal says to Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, look what Jesus says. Second saying from the cross. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' words of salvation reveals something. It reveals the need for someone to come to the end of themselves before they can come to Christ. You see, these criminals represent all men. The one on one side and the one on the other. They really represent all of men, mankind. All of mankind's response to Jesus. Romans 3, 22 and 23, you know that, don't you? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, for there is no distinction, verse 23, for all have sinned fall short of the glory of God. So let us learn from the cross today that everyone that is to be saved must come to the realization that you are a thief. You see how offensive that is to the modern ears. I'm a what? A thief? I mean, around here, people, people people, ready to go. I'm no thief. I, I mean, I, I'm not perfect. I may even would, would go too far to say sometimes I, I do bad things and maybe I'm a sinner. But I am no thief. No, I would say today that you cannot be saved unless you realize that you are a thief. We, brothers and sisters, before Christ, have robbed God. We have robbed him of his worship. We have robbed him of his honor. We have robbed him of the obedience that is due his name. And we have not offered it to God, which means we have offered it to Satan. We worship materialism and position. and The God of money, we are thieves. And you see, there's only two thieves. One that scorned him. And one that realized that he could not save himself. And so we see this one criminal... Understood Romans 5, 6 that while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly he realized he had a bigger problem than that cross he was nailed to the Bible gives us this picture that we don't have lepers in our culture you ought to Google one Look at that image because that's who we are outside of Christ. We are spiritual lepers decaying one day at a time. And our leprosy will follow us both in this life into eternity. Much of the problems we see today, including the mental illness that we see, are people who constantly live being sinned against and sinning and don't repent. It decays you one step at a time. Sin is leprosy. And this criminal realizes he's a leper. And so he repents. Look with me at verse 40. it's, It's amazing. These guys are nailed to the cross. They're bleeding. They're dying very slowly. And they're having a conversation with each other. You know, the one criminal's scoffing, telling Jesus to come down and take us with you. Verse 40, But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Listen to what he says. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for of our deeds, but this man has done no wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me. Do you see what he's done? He said, I'm a thief. And I am getting exactly what I deserve. And he has turned from that which he has done. And he has turned to Christ. You see, there is a difference between heart faith and head faith. Between coming to Jesus like we are learning about Napoleon or Nero or Gandhi. Head faith is just simply quote information about Jesus. But not lay ourselves and rest ourselves savingly on Christ alone as only he is the one. Who can save? You can believe in the historic Jesus and go straight to hell. Question is do you have a heart of faith? The criminal did, and so right then, today, do you see it? Look at verse 43. It's what Jesus said. Truly, today. That's emphatic. The thief. We're going to talk about that today, next week. We're going to apply that. Because of the resurrection, that today means something in your life. It's next week. It's what I want you to see. The thief went from the cross to paradise. No. No purgatory. No soul sleep here. From the cross to with him. He immediately, then, while he was on the cross, became an heir in fellowship with Christ. As safe as Jesus was on the cross. It was his. It wasn't something he had to work for or pray up. It's done. It was finished in his life. Colossians 1. I like the New Living Translation here. A little sidebar. Sometimes it helps when you're studying the Bible to look at various translations. Helps you understand it better. Colossians 1, 12 to 14. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who, listen, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins true of this criminal. right then, on the cross, Jesus spoke words of radical forgiveness, selfless salvation and tender care. This is, this is astounding. So do there here we need to go to John. Your Bible ought to just fall right open to John as much as we've been in there. John 19' 25. John 19.25 but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene when Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby he said to his mother woman behold your son then he said to the disciple behold your mother and from that hour the disciples took the disciple took her to his own home Jesus words here of tender care fulfilled prophecy do you remember Luke 2 Simeon was promised that he would not die until he saw the Messiah and as he's seen Christ he said in Luke 2:29 Lord now Let your servant depart in peace according to thy word, for for my eyes have seen thy salvation, which you have prepared before all the faces of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of your people. And then he turns to Mary. And in verse 34, he says, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign of which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through their own soul. You see, Jesus' tender words not only fulfilled Scripture in that it did. It honored his family. I mean, if you're a parent, you you can feel this. Mary was there at his birth. She gave him a bath and cleaned him up and picked him up when he fell. She was the first one to kiss him. She was his mom. And there he hung there. She was unable to do anything to help him. Her soul was pierced just as Simeon said it would be. And at that moment, while Christ suffered, as his organs were beginning to shut down and send blood to where it needed to survive. He looks out at his mother, and he looks at John, and he said, John, take care of my mama. Mama, he's going to take care of you. So don't miss this today. And I'm probably just talking to myself. Our spiritual responsibilities never call us to ignore our natural responsibilities. Our spiritual responsibilities never call us to ignore our natural responsibilities. The late pastor Adrian Rogers said it this way, I will never sacrifice my family on the altar of ministry. And some of us, brothers and sisters, are offering our families and our marriages on the altars of our careers and our busyness. And God is calling us today to repent, for on the cross he neither neglected our redemption nor caring for his own mother. That's a powerful word today. Christ on the cross. He forgives. He saves. He cares tenderly as he utters words of unimaginable anguish. This is when the words turn. He turns here from selfless care. Have you seen it? Have you seen his selfless care? And now he turns to absolute dependence he turns toward his father as the sixth hour darkness falls to the ninth Matthew now let's go to Matthew verse 27 look at verse 46 Matthew 27 46 I'm intentionally going to all of these places that you see. If you want to see the whole picture of the passion of the Christ, you've got to read all the Gospels. Verse 46, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of all we could say, I want you to see two things here. Unbroken fellowship and unimaginable anguish. You see, on earth, while Jesus was on earth for some 32, 33 years, he never had one moment of broken fellowship. It was complete, unbroken communion with the Father. He never had a time where he did not know his father's will he never had one moment where he made a decision without first looking to his father never had a one millisecond outside the conscious presence of his father until now I don't know what that must have been like for him but listen to A.W. Pink I think the quote will be there on the back, on, up here for you. Pink says these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Marks the climax of his suffering. The soldiers had cruelly mocked him. They had arrayed him with the crown of thorns. They had scourged and buffeted him, even went so far as to spit on him and pluck off his hair. They despoiled him of his garments and put him to an open shame. Yet he suffered it all in silence. They pierced his hands and his feet. Yet did he endure the cross, despising the shame. The vulgar crowd taunted him. And the thieves which were crucified with him flung the same taunts into his face. Yet he opened not his mouth. In response to all this, he suffered at the hands of men. Not a cry escaped his lips. But now... As the consecrated wrath of heaven descends upon him, he cries, "My God, my God, why has you forsaken me?" Surely this is the cry that ought to melt the hardest heart. Is hard. Brothers and sisters on the cross, he drank our cup. Do you remember what he said in the garden? Father, if it's possible, if it's possible. Would this cup pass from me? But not my will, but yours. You see, this is the most important question of your life. What was in that cup? What was in the cup? It was a cup. It had to be drank. All of it had to be drank. What was in the cup? Was the wrath of God? What was in the cup? The penalty for my sin and yours... For David's murder of Uriah and his commitment of adultery for Bathsheba, for the sin that I committed this morning and the one I'll do tomorrow. It was in all the penalty of that. He had to drink. He drank our cup of wrath so we might forever, so we might today drink the cup of blessing. He drank the cup why he was forsaken so that we might say with paul in galatians two twenty, i am crucified with christ but nevertheless i live yet not i but christ lives in me in the life that i live now i live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loves me and gave himself for me you see that's a today reality it affects how i live it affects how i love Jesus forgives, he saves, he cares tenderly. He utters words of unimaginable anguish and excruciating suffering. For this, let's go back to John now. Look at verse 28. John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said... To fulfill scripture I thirst I'm thirsty Jesus physical suffering reveals his humanity as a child we were told in Luke chapter 2 that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man and in that same chapter we see that he was in the temple asking questions He was wearied in body in John 4. He got hungry in Matthew 4. He slept in Mark 4. He marveled in Mark 6. He wept in John 11. He prayed in Mark 1. He rejoiced in Luke 10. He groaned in John 11. And here this morning he said, I'm thirsty. But you see, his physical suffering points to the greater suffering. It is... Connected, the physical and the spiritual this was no simple ordinary thirst let's remember he has been through the three hours of darkness he has faced the wrath of God and drank it all and so his body and his soul both sympathize with each other As he endures both the anguish of the wrath of his father and the reality that he is dying. He's thirsty. Here's what I hear as I studied this. Psalms 42. As the deer pants for flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? On the cross, He had faced both physical and spiritual suffering. And yet, the astounding reality here is He has absolute clarity of mind. Enough to say the reason that he said this. Do you see that? Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished and that the scripture might be fulfilled says I thirst. Psalm 69 21 says this they gave me poison for food and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Jesus knowing that he has done everything for the redemption of his people fulfills scripture to the last jot and tittle. He said, I'm thirsty. And out of the anguish and suffering now comes victory. The word of victory. You're in John 19 still, hopefully. Look at verse 30. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You see, Jesus' final words, it is finished, marks the accomplishment of his father's mission. You remember John has been the focus through this whole series in John, what his father has sent him to do, the authority his father has given him. I'm doing what the father has told me to do. John 17, 4 says, I have finished the work that you gave me to do, Father. The difficult as work is done. Nothing remains to be added to the work of Christ. Nothing can be added. The goal for which he came is finished. And these words mark the very foundational basis for our salvation. For we must ask, what is finished? What is finished? What cannot be added to? What cannot be taken away from? Our redemption. The work of atonement. Galatians 4, 4 says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. John goes on to say, and you are sons right now. All that the holy God requires... Everything to fulfill justice has been satisfied. Nothing is left, brothers and sisters. Good news! If you're watching online, listen to this. Nothing is left for you to add. The Lord gives you no price for your salvation, save to rest your faith in Christ alone. It's finished. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a gift finished nothing left to do nothing left to pray we don't receive Jesus with some kind of debtor's ethic where he motivates you to pay him back for the rest now, no we don't it's a gift we live for him because we love him and that makes all the difference in the world it's a world of victory a word of victory because not only did he provide for our atonement He's defeated the power of Satan in our life. Been talking about that already, haven't we? For the Christian, the devil is a conquered enemy. We keep this in mind because he's still seeking, he's still prowling. There's still a now and a not yet to be done. But the work has been finished. Hebrews 2, verse 14 says this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Christ, he... Himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil we've already read Colossians 1.13 he has delivered us from the powers of darkness you know that Christ has done his work in your life because you hate sin and you love him and you can look back in your life a year ago and 10 years ago and 40 years ago and see the progressive work of, of becoming more like Christ in your actual life. If you're a Christian today, you need to see this. The devil has no claim on you. He has no claim on you. We are covered in the blood, just like Pastor Mike has already taught us. And Think of this with these six words Jesus rest this is our gospel story he rest Luke 23 verse 46 and Jesus calling out with a loud voice said father into your hands I commit my spirit Having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus hung on the cross and seven times he moved his lips. When you see that in the Bible, it's important to stop and take note of it because you see, seven in the Bible is an important number, it's a number of completeness, it is a number of perfection. It should take us to creation. You see, God did his work in six days. And on the seventh day, he rests from his work. And he brings his His new creation, these image bearers, into a finished work for them to abide in. And on the cross, brothers and sisters, he has finished the work. And through faith in Jesus Christ, he brings us in to rest in that finished work. Never to work again. This is our story and this is our song. And this is what we sing to our last breath. Our story is a story. You are here today. You are watching today because the Lord is not through with you. There is work to be done. And brothers and sisters, we must decide to finish it. We must follow his example. He did it all. He did it to the end. And in the end, he leaned back into his arms of his father. Brothers and sisters, for Christians, that's what death is. Death for a believer is a leaning back into the arms of a waiting father. Is that true of your life? Has the pandemic made you more fearful? or more longing to be able to lean back into his arms. Because if you're not leaning in his arms now, there's no wonder why you're not longing to lean in them then. We lean in them every day. What the Spirit of God reminds us. Paul says to a pastor, Timothy, I am persuaded That he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. Paul says from prison to believers, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So this Sunday before Easter, let us give ourselves this week to pondering this reality. Jesus died. so that we might live to him and die in him. Jesus died, but Easter's coming. You know why we know it? It's because the Father gave the Lord two commands. He gave him two commands. And Jesus never disobeys his Father. Let me just read it. You've already read this in our study of John. No one takes it, my life, from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Listen to what he says. This is Jesus speaking. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father... Brothers and sisters, we will gather next week for Easter because Jesus obeyed the Father. He laid it down, and here we know He will take it up again, and He did. And He sits at the right hand of God. And do you know that He has promised to one day to come again and to take us where He is so that we will forever be with Him? This is the promise of God. This is our story. You take this story with you wherever you go. Take it to work with you tomorrow you take it out in the yard you take it to your deathbed how will we respond my prayer today as we've all pray every week for the word that as jesus prayer was effective so his word will not come back void that repentance and faith happens today in your life if it has not already happened and then as we come to the tables We come to the tables every week it is important for believers to come to the tables because when we come to the Lord's table, we are remembering something that is present, something that is past and something that is future. We remember that Christ's work on the cross was something that has already been accomplished in our past that is producing Christ's likeness in our present and that is promised to bring us into his very presence in the future. Believers celebrated the eighth day. Are you familiar with that? Believers gathered together on the first day of the week to long for the eighth day. That was the eighth day. That was the new heavens and the new earth to where when that day dawns, no end of day will ever be again. They gathered. They went to the tables and said, because Christ gave his life and because he lived, all of this is true. And I can go out tomorrow and face anything this world has to offer me because so let us sing brothers and sisters but first let us pray and so Lord we come to you and acknowledge without you and the work of your son we are nothing but with him we have everything we need for life and godliness everything we need to finish well everything we need to live this life with joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness suffering and so God we long to simply worship you today as your children we long to commit ourselves afresh and anew that we'll put off the idols of the world and we will put on worship it's a living sacrifice and so Lord receive our worship as we give for everything that we have comes from you. Lord, may our giving be an expression of our worship and of our faith. Lord, as we come to the tables, the Lord, let us remember that your Son paid it all, body and soul, so that we might be the children of God, safe and secure in the arms of a waiting Father. Let your people Rejoice even in the losses and even in the crosses and even in the pain. Because we know that our Redeemer lives. We worship now.